to Retro Water Now, a trawl through the bottom drawer of entertainment history. My name is Jason Chung. Here is Scott John. Hello. Welcome back. It's been a while since our last one, hasn't it? Yeah. Are we only doing them every six weeks? Is that what we've yeah. decided? It's a by half monthly <laughs> or something. Try half monthly. Yes. Apologies if you are enjoying, enjoying it. it. Yes. <laughs> but. You know, you're probably glad to have a nice little breather between. I certainly am. Yep, between a- the juggernauts of episodes <laughs> one and two. Yes, <laughs> I think I had a nervous breakdown during the preparation of my segment for this one. So yeah, I heard you a- gone through your sound cues, and yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah, this is great. So, what are you talking about today? Uh, I'm doing the history of the birdie dance or the chicken dance. Yes, it's got many names, as we'll find out later. Just those two, though, really, isn't it? No, no, no. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. You'll find out all about it. You remember? Dust- the- Burden dancing. <laughs> You're very close. Not really? Surprisingly <laughs> close. Yes. So Does do you- chip chip boogie. <laughs> yes. Okay. We also have a segment that we're going to try out. What is it called, Scott? Uh, it, it's called Celebrity Poetry with Barry White's Love Unlimited Orchestra cool. in, in the background. Is that a snappy enough title? Okay, and, and what is it? You'll have to find out. I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be talking about the 1998 sci-fi classic Mac and Me. Yes. Which you've had a bit of a look at as well. Yeah. You're, uh, you're frowning. No, it was painful. A painful, painful experience. Yes, it was, and I had to watch it, watch it twice. So let's, <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Let's chat about that next. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mac and Me has 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Zero. Yeah, that's possible. That is impressive. Yeah, and it's warranted in this case. Uh, Let me take you back to 1988. Uh, In 1982, I think it was, E.T. had been released. Worldwide phenomenon. Yes. Classic. Excellent film. And six years later, Orion Pictures was like, we got to get some of that. we got to get some of that action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, they decided to make this uh, horrible, horrible movie. It was written and directed by um, a guy called Stuart Raffil, who would end up winning a Golden Razzie. For the worst director for this film. Uh, But then, straight after it, immediately redeemed himself with 1991's Mannequin 2 on the move. Really? Yes. Uh, And he also wrote 1992's Passenger 57. Two in one year. That's impressive. What a roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, also, early in his career, uh, Raffle was sued by the actual Tarzan of the time, Mike Henry, when a chimpanzee Raffle was supposed to be handling attacked him <laughs> in 1966. <laughs> Quite the illustrious career. Yeah, so he's done some stuff. So, a producer named R.J. Lewis, who also did The Karate Kid and Ocean's Eleven, like mm-hmm. the, the more recent one, he was like... I got it. I got the next idea. So he hired a director. Um, Raffle came in and he said, I was just hired out of the blue. The producer asked me to come down to the office. So I did. And he had the whole crew there, the whole crew on the payroll. It was amazing. He had everyone hired. And I said, well, what's the script? And he said, we don't have a script. I didn't like the script. You have to write the script. It's a very Donald Trump at the moment. Well, that makes sense because there's not a lot. To the script, it will yeah. only be a couple of well, pages. Well, this could be why. He then went on to say, you're going to have to write it quick. So prep the movie during the week and write the script on the weekends. <laughs> so he, for the first week, he was prepping a movie with, with, with script. no scripts. So the story I'm going to go through in a little while, it's batshit. Like it is just <laughs> nuts. Um, and it you has- know, I, 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 I'm not, I can't judge the film because I was so bored that I cleaned out my garage while watching it. <laughs> I just kept bringing boxes in. Yeah. I had to multitask. I was getting depressed. I was <sighs> analysing my career moves. 
it was um it's just it really is the slowest moving yeah. movie i've ever seen absolutely uh so basically it's a family of aliens and then they like one of them who like you know meets a, a, another human family and hijinks but the main guy is uh the main kid is a uh, he plays eric is a guy called jade calligory uh, is this the guy in the wheelchair yes yeah. it's his only film appearance <laughs> never yes. worked again in this town after that um and he was nominated for a youth in film award for best young actor in a motion picture or fantasy yeah. um he was nominated, but he lost to the two Corys, Corey <laughs> Feldman and Corey Both Haim, of them. for License to Drive. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, he never had a chance. Yeah. Uh, another major character in this film is McDonald's. It's called Mac and Me, like Big Mac, but apparently that was just a coincidence. Uh, and a lot of right. people have accused McDonald's of paying for the film and just making it an ad. There's so much product placement in there. It's a yeah. real big feature. If you ever play this as a drinking game, you can... Just literally drink every time you see a product placement and you will be drunk by minute eight. Yeah, there's Macca's, uh, Coke, Coke, Skittles. Skittles, Sears yeah. is, a, is a big character in the movie too. McDonald's said that they didn't finance a film. However, they did get uh, financing from Golden State Foods. Now, Golden oh. State Foods uh, supplies things to McDonald's, now, notably Big Mac Sauce. They're the only supplier of Big oh. Mac Sauce. Yeah. And... Their only client is McDonald's. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so there was a whole um, profit sharing thing with Ronald McDonald House um, where any profits would, would be shared with, with a charity, which is great. The yeah. film never even came close to breaking even. So, oh. so I did, think they, Ronald did the McDonald, charity have to pay up? I think so. I think that they owe Orion a whole bunch of money. McDonald's said that they did not want Ronald McDonald in the movie. Yeah, and not only. So, can we say when he's in the film? Yes. Well, why don't you? Why don't you describe when he's in the movie? I just suddenly walked in from the garage, and he was break dancing (laughs) with an alien. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that's about as much as I can uh, uh, explain. Yeah, is that right? (laughs) Yeah, there is a weird scene where a a dance competition happens in in McDonald's, and Ronald McDonald is there doing magic tricks for a birthday party, and they got the real Ronald McDonald at the time, like the guy that was in the ads, the official one. Ah, yeah. right. He was also nominated and won a Razzie for Worst Actor. Not as uh, Squire Friedel, which is the guy's name, but yeah. as Ronald McDonald. Yeah. His character won a Worst Actor Award. So, the design of the aliens. I would like you to des- see if you can describe what the aliens look like. Uh, cross between Yoda and John Howard. <laughs> okay, good. I'm very surprised that you didn't use the word testicles in any of that. <laughs> Well, very similar, those two things. Mm, yeah. yes. <laughs> I also use the word Yoda. I said uh, cross between a hairless Yoda and a newborn bird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, the similarities between a newborn bird and John Howard. If you put them in a police lineup, you wouldn't know the difference. Mm. And I'm not sure if you knew th- uh, noticed this uh, because you were in an outlaw, but mm. a lot of the time they use the back of Mac's head, you know, just to be in right. shot, just as, to dirty up the frame. And it has a bum crease in it. I'm not sure why. <laughs> But that is really distracting. And once you see that, you can never unsee it. So they've got like huge eyes and a mouth that's always in like a whistling position. Yeah. And like, so they always look really surprised. Um, And they make this constant whistling noise throughout the whole film. So it sounds like you're listening to the cricket on AM radio. Yes. Through the whole thing. It's so annoying. I must say, I got so bored that I was listening to the cricket on AM radio. (laughs) You wouldn't know the difference anyway. So finally, we're going to get to the plot. Now, I was just writing notes as I went through this movie. Uh-huh. So, this is, is just the diary of a, a slowly maddening person. Good. So, a family of aliens gets vacuumed into a NASA space probe, which takes them back to Earth. And it is six minutes before anyone speaks. 
Did you know that? There's yes. no dialogue for six minutes. Yeah. So they get taken back to Earth. They escape. They're surrounded by soldiers with guns. But some idiot, and this is a the theme, keeps saying, hold your fire. And then the aliens just walk out of the base. <laughs> so no one actually tries to stop them. It's ridiculous. So Mac, the baby one. Uh, is separated from his family who, and they then have to wander through the desert in a series of long and uncomfortable montages. Um, and they kind of, they're naked the whole time. And they have, do you remember that, you remember that image of uh, naked Monty Burns? Yes. That's what they look like. Yes. Except no genitals. Yes. Right. So Mac hides in the back uh, of the van of a, a passing van uh, with Eric, uh, Mike and their two brothers and their mother who I can't remember her name. Uh, they're traveling across the country after something happened to their dad. Do you know what that was? No. He's just in a photo, but he's not in the movie. So either, I don't know if he left them or if they died, if the kid did something and that's why he's in a wheelchair. I've got no idea, but somehow the dad's not there. So they move into the, uh, this new house halfway across the, they're from Chicago. They moved to uh, California. Uh, they're finally there. They move into this new house. Hijinks assume because they can't see Mac, but Mac's causing havoc. So he messes up the house. Eric gets blamed for it. He's like, I didn't do it. No one believes him. So he goes at the back. No, that's for ages. No one believes him for so yes. long. It's like a bloody 50 minute snuffleupagus story. <laughs> and Eric is big bird. Yes. And he's furious. So he goes outside to blow off some steam and he sees like a ravine. Keep in mind, he's in a wheelchair. This happens. Okay, Eric is rolling down a hill. He's lost control. He falls off a goddamn cliff. I, I did not see that bit. I must have been doing my two. Are you serious? Throwing out my 2004 tax returns. Oh, man. <laughs> that was the best I part. I don't remember that. Yeah, man. Okay, so they wrote and then filmed throwing a child with spina bifida off a cliff. And then they did, did he do it. his own stunt? He did part of it. So the crew members took up positions either side of, of the track to slow him down as he went past. And so like they hid behind bushes and stuff. And the director actually subbed in for him in certain parts of it as well. And then they threw a dummy off the cliff. He doesn't die. Uh, Mac, who's actually down the bottom of the ravine, helps him out of the water, but no one sees him. His mother thinks it's an attempted suicide because they wouldn't believe him. So she calls the doctor and the paramedics. The doctor comes to Eric's room and then gives Eric some sedatives. Right. Without the mum in the room. Yeah. (laughs) Seems like so dodgy. (laughs) I don't think he's a doctor. So more hijinks. Uh, Matt gets in a motorized car. You know, like rich kids used to have those cars that, mm-hmm. that you ride around in. He gets in one and he's, and he's chased by dogs on the road. Yeah. Um, and then the dogs around a corner and some of them slip over and, and this white dust gets kicked up because they put talcum powder over the road. So interestingly, I looked at the end of the credits for one of those American humane messages. No animals were harmed in the making of the film. This, this film doesn't, doesn't have, have one. one. Right. It's, so, it's the Milo and Otis of alien films. <laughs> yep. Then there's a really cute bit uh, where this happens. Hello? Yeah, he's ready. Okay, bye-bye. Eric, it was Debbie. She's on her way. You ready? Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember people calling you and having to speak to your mum and just yes. the, the 80s phone calls? <laughs> I, I remember we had two phones, one in the bedroom mm. and, and one in the kitchen, I think. And my dad would pick up the phone whenever I was talking to anyone and just start dialing. So you'd, your phone call would just be interrupted by... <laughs> oh, rotary phone. Rotary phone, Ew. yeah. yeah. Hello? Hello? 
Scott, is that you? <laughs> did you did you ever date people with a landline? Like well, when you're on a landline and you have to like lie in the hallway and everyone have to step over you because you're talking on the phone for hours. <laughs> yes, yeah, very awkward. Well, we, we, yeah, oh my God, I, you, I you never go- dated. No, 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 I did. I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just a bit that, that kind of like brought back a bit of nostalgia. It's probably the best bit of the movie, apart from throwing the uh, disabled kid off a cliff. <laughs> So what that phone call was to say that Debbie next door is coming over to pick him up and take him to the party at McDonald's. Right. So this is a... And suddenly in the middle of the film, it's like an interval and it becomes a McDonald's commercial, basically. Yeah. As if the whole thing wasn't yeah. a McDonald's commercial. Yeah. Interesting fact, a real life McDonald's was built for this one built. scene. Why? For the movie. They couldn't use another one? No. Nah. There are hundreds of them. I know. But this one never, never served a single customer. It was built... This specifically to the code that McDonald's wanted. Uh, and it was torn down and then rebuilt in 2006 and it's still never been used. What, what are you talking about? I don't this know. This is crazy. These are facts. <laughs> Why? And it doesn't serve hamburgers. What don't. are you talking about? <laughs> I didn't do it. Stop yelling this at me. Insane, but you're talking rubbish. They built... A McDonald's for Mac and me yep. never served a burger in it, yep. knocked it down and rebuilt it, yep. and still to this day have not sold a burger in it. Why? <laughs> Tell me. I don't know. I can't help you. This makes no sense. Yes. Good. You love this movie. If you don't like the thing that's making sense. This scene starts off pretty subtly. I don't know if you saw this, but Jennifer Aniston is an extra in it. <laughs> I did not notice that. Her uh, her older brother was like a, an assistant director or, you know, something like that. <laughs> right. And uh, so she's in it somewhere. Uh, and we think it's here. But, you know, it's all so blurry and stuff nowadays. No, no one really knows. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the young pictures of Jennifer Aniston, but she has a different nose <laughs> as well, so it's hard to tell. <laughs> you sounded slightly creepy when you were saying that. It might be where your hand was. <laughs> <laughs> so they go inside. Ronald goddamn McDonald is in there doing magic tricks for kids. Yeah. Do you know who the first Ronald McDonald was? No. The very first Ronald was McDonald. It, was it Gary? What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Willard Scott. Okay. Willard Scott no. from the Today Show, the weatherman, the wacky weatherman. Move. Okay, well, that's good to know. Move on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the real Ronald McDonald is there, uh, and he has a couple of lines. Here's what he says. Hey, How's it going? That's it. That's the a, audio that, in that scene was awful. Yeah, it was pretty tough. But I don't know if you heard that, but uh, he says, how you going, kid, to Eric in the wheelchair? Yeah. And Eric says, it's going. And he seems so unimpressed that Ronald McDonald is talking to him. So Ronald McDonald uh, runs off and then he's in a few cutaways of like when the dance scene happens, but he, he doesn't really do anything else in the movie. So someone in the, in the background says, oh, the dance contest is starting. And a literal dance contest breaks out involving every teen archetype in America. There's African-American break dancers. There's American football players in full mm-hmm. uniform. Mm-hmm. For some reason, uh, McDonald's employees, every extra from Saved by the Bell, um, and my favorite, the ballerinas. Now, if you look there, the ballerinas start at a table in the wide shop, pretty close to the middle. But every time they cut back to that wide shop, they need more space for more dancers. Right. Uh, and the ballerinas uh, keep their, their table just keeps getting moved to the side <laughs> of the screen, and then all of a sudden, it's gone, and they're just standing up, it just hogging the side of the the stage with their resting bitch face. 
because it's a flash mob, so you have to look bored until it's your turn. Right. That's was this how- world's first flash mob? It kind of, it kind of was, I think, mm. because everyone in that that's sitting in the restaurant is part of it. Yeah, that's what I hate about flash mobs. You go, oh, Grand Central Station, everyone, but everyone there was part of it. So, what's public about that? <laughs> Everyone is like, people are like, oh my God, are they look, are they pointing, taking pictures? And then you see them dancing in the next, uh, yeah. I, I really don't like flash mobs. Do they still do flash mobs? I hope That's not. Yeah. Uh, so, Mac is, is dressed as a teddy bear at this point because they had to smuggle him in. Right. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. yeah, yeah ringing yeah. some bells? I, I, I do remember a dancing bear. Mm. Yeah. So, at some point, he floats and spins because they obviously couldn't figure out how to make him walk like yes. that uh, I, onto the counter of the McDonald's. Ah, yes. Uh, and he dances in front of all the McDonald's employees in uh, clear violation of a whole bunch of oh, health and safety rules, uh, duty of care, and most notably hygiene procedures. <laughs> <laughs> the whole dance sequence, much like this segment, goes on for far too long. It's four and a bit minutes. And as it's a dance sequence, it's a slap in the face for the star of the movie who's in a wheelchair. <laughs> It is one of the weirdest scenes I've ever seen. It's like you're watching an alien movie and suddenly from dusk till dawn. It's that, yeah, so what the, that what huge the hell is going change on here? It's suddenly turned into Greece too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the government agents who have been chasing them, I haven't mentioned them this far because they don't do anything, um, but they go to find them. There's a dance party happening. Eric uh, heads for and loses control on a downhill slope because he's in a wheelchair. This makes it the third time he's lost control on a downhill slope. Wow, somebody needs to buckle him into that wheelchair. Mm. All right, so the kids uh, escape that. Uh, they go on a road trip to find Max's family, during which time they have this conversation. It's the straws! That's it! We must be getting closer! Bummer, I thought it was going to be a spaceship. You never know, there still could be one. There's not. I don't know why they said... I think that even then they were getting bored with me. Like, well, we have... People are going to walk out unless we promise them a spaceship at some point. And there's not a spaceship in this movie. It's like they were writing each scene as they finished recording the last one. (laughs) And they had no idea what the end of the film was going to be. (laughs) So they end up at a mineshaft. Mm-hmm. Um, where the, uh, the the family has kind of ended up, the, yeah, the alien family. As you do. Eric, who's obviously in a wheelchair, can't go down a mineshaft. Cut to Eric in a mineshaft. Uh, they find this dying family. So Mike, uh, the older brother, checks for signs of life by touching one of them on the eyeball. Right. And then he flinches. And they're like, oh, they're alive. So this is where the movie should end. They should all, it's like, you know, like hold hands, beam up and, and piss up. But nope, this is where stuff starts to get a little bit silly. I don't know if I'm um, on board after this, <laughs> this point. So the alien family end up in a supermarket where they start to go shopping. Uh, somehow the alien dad gets a gun. Right. He just kind of takes well, it off. they have them as- in the supermarkets in the yeah. US, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, the cops arrive and once again, the aliens simply walk past them to get away. Yeah. Eric goes after them in his wheelchair to try and stop them and get them to turn around yeah. and, and yeah. not get shot. An officer goes after him. He trips, he hits the deck, and his gun goes off. That starts a shootout between the aliens and the police, which ends up in an improbably large explosion that kills Eric. Did oh, you see this? I, d- I remember uh, an explosion, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a stupidly large explosion. I yeah. think that they were shooting out in front of like barbecues galore or something, <laughs> because it's massive. <laughs> Gee. Okay, that's full and intense, right? Yeah. But that's not the original edit, right? The Japanese version was released with a different edit. I'm only going to play the last bit of it. Oh, well, that's confronting. Wow, right? So describe what happens there. He he gets shot. Yeah. Through the chest. Yeah, so the officer that trips in the American edit 
trips it and, and his gun goes off. In the Japanese edit, he actually shoots Eric, the boy in the wheelchair, in the back and the bullet comes out of the chest and you see it all. And that's why Eric's lifeless body just rolls towards the explosion. Wow. Rough. I couldn't believe it. You can this YouTube was that. A, this was a Cotties film. Remember when you used to get yeah. your little films with the Cotties? That's, that's not Cotties material. That's nuts, right? So Eric is pronounced dead. Then out of the flames, the aliens come and surprise, surprise, they know how to cure either being two meters from an explosion uh, or being shot in the chest if you're Japanese. They put their hands over him and they, and they, they cure him. And it's amazing. It's a real tear-jerking moment. It's stolen straight from E.T., as most of these things have been done badly. <laughs> now, if, if you were being cured, brought back to life, and you were in a wheelchair before that, yeah. would you kind of... I mean, I guess expect is a big word, but w- would you expect your spina bifida to be cured too? If I was in a wheelchair and died yes. and was brought back to life by aliens, yes. is, it, is, this, is this what you're asking Aliens me? with unlimited power. Yes, I would expect to be cured from spina bifida. Well, sucked in Eric, because he still has spina bifida at this point. They bring him back to the wheelchair. Harsh. Because the actor actually had spina bifida. And so, I mean, you, you saw Mac trying, like, them trying to animate Mac walking. Yes. It, it was pretty clumsy. <laughs> of course, they had been living on a diet of, of Maccas and Coke for the past week. So, they yes. totally weren't in the best physical tip-top condition themselves. Um, so, Eric is dead for five and a half minutes. So, sometimes when, like, the kiss mm. of life brings someone back to life in a fairy story, it's like 30 seconds to a minute, Max. Yeah. This is... It, they drag... He's dead for five and a half minutes. That's a minute longer than the entire dance sequence. <laughs> yes. right? um, and if you add them together, that's 10 minutes. It's a 100-minute film. That's... 10% of this movie that the main character is either dead or forced to watch other people dancing while he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> so everyone is supposed to live happily ever after. We obviously need some kind of epilogue. Yeah, what do they become? Citizens at the end? Is yeah, that- yeah. It's such a long, boring speech. Uh, and it ends with, if you agree to all the above, please state so by saying, I do. And everyone else who's being a citizen mm. says, I do. And the aliens don't because they don't speak English. They have no idea what's going yeah. on. And they all they can do is whistle. But they don't even whistle. They don't even like... They just like, nah, I'm going <laughs> to straight to compo and work illegally. <laughs> so then the aliens get into a pink Cadillac and drive off with the two youngest humans in the back of the car as well. Because uh-huh. surely an alien learns to drive and you're like, yeah, you can take my kids. <laughs> uh, and some, uh, some text comes up on the screen in a, in a bubble, which Mac has learned to blow, uh, that says, we'll be back. We'll be back. So that was uh, setting up for a sequel. Yes, a Mac sequel. And me too. Yeah. <laughs> Mac and hashtag me too. <laughs> uh, it never happened, obviously, because no one saw the movie. But the producer, RJ Lewis, uh, said in 2017, only two years ago, that he still wouldn't rule out a sequel. Hanging on, ha- just waiting. He's knocking at the studio door every day. I'm here. Yes. You want- He's like Daryl Summers at the Channel 9. Uh, Mac and if three. you want another hey, Sunday reunion, I'm always here. <laughs> and so in all of this, and I listened to, I, I researched a bunch of documents and, and, uh, and saw a lot of videos and, and podcasts on this. Uh, there's no mention. No one ever talks about the special effects, like how they, you know, sucked him into a vacuum cleaner and how they got the face to move and the animatronics. and the how special they got- effects are quite good, I must say. Yeah. But no one cares because that's the least talkable thing in this is 998 and we had no special effects in this but it's such a bad movie and there it is I've watched it so you never have to no idea you put me through it and I'm angry for you and I'll never forgive you I'm looking into the story. No context. Behind uh, the chicken dance or this the is, birdie dance. Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a birdie dance guy. 
Yeah, I'm a birdie dance yeah. guy. Yeah, I call it the birdie dance. Okay. Yeah, but uh, as we'll find out, it's got multiple names. Uh, it's it, but it, basically an umpa song that fills the world with joy. As <laughs> Correct. Yes. Both of those are facts. Yes. Our story starts many years ago <laughs> in the town of Davos or Davos. I'm not sure which. In Davos. <laughs> Davos in Davos, Switzerland. Um, in the 1950s, uh, a local accordion player by the name Werner Thomas would travel around playing his accordion at Swiss holiday resorts. Of course. And uh, he says the tune of the, the chicken dance or the birdie dance first popped into his head fully formed. Wow. In 1955. So like which came first? Really annoying gift from the gods straight into <laughs> his head. Take that. Yes. Uh, so in the, in the early 60s, Werner Thomas began regularly performing the song at his restaurant so, if you went in for a schnitty, mm. you get a schnitty and a, bit of, and a bit of this. He'd, he'd just walk out. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me, I'll be waiting an hour for my schnitzel. I have to keep playing this. We have many customers. <laughs> oh, there we go. Do you think they only did it like if it was your birthday? You know how some of them sing you happy birthday? <laughs> yes. But no, he only knew the one song. That was- <laughs> That's why I had to stop traveling around to festivals. <laughs> That's right. So he says he got an immediate reaction and people spontaneously began to move to the melody, um, move outside to the car park, presumably. <laughs> so soon after that, he came up with a dance. He designed a little dance for it. And believe it or not, the, the original dance is not the one that you know. Oh, uh, really? Uh, no, it, it's one that... He was uh, he was inspired to come up with a dance based on skiers because he spent a lot okay, of time yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sweet, uh, in the ski uh, resorts. Ski resorts. Um, so he designed a dance that was imitating the skiers as they you know moved around, and he recognised that their ju- their gestures reminded him of flapping wings and waiting feet. Okay. So he adapted the movements into a choreographed dance that he called the Entenzance. <laughs> which is spell that? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, which is a Swiss for the duck dance. Wow! So it was based on the duck, wow. not the birdie. Doesn't that blow your My mind? My whole life is a lie. Yeah. So so it started to catch on first through Switzerland and then through Europe into the sixties. Uh, it soon became a popular drinking song at Oktoberfest mm-hmm. in Germany, and Werner Thomas travelled the land with his popular song like an early day Lou Bega. <laughs> this was Mambo Presum- number one. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Mambo number one. Presumably making friends and seducing audience members yeah. everywhere with his sexy tune. Absolutely. <laughs> The next big step in 1972, during one of Werner Thomas's performances, a, a Belgian record producer, Louis Van Richmenant, <laughs> was having dinner uh, at, at one of these ski resorts and almost choked on his kartoffel puffers when he heard the song. So, and Van Richmenant liked what he heard. So. He, he signed him up. He said, oh, you're, you're amazing. And he created a version for the synthesizer and he called it Chip Chip. Chip Chip. 
Here you go. Sounds like the theme song to a sitcom starring Ronnie Corbett. It does. Now, uh, you might have heard a dog barking in there too. I can hear a dog barking. That is my actual dog. That is not part of a dust chip chip (laughs) boogie. So, within a year, chip chip sold over a million copies in Europe. Right. Massive. That is huge. So, having taken Europe by storm, it migrated to to America a few years later like a a nasty stream of bird flu. (laughs) And uh, this happened after New York publisher Stanley Mills heard the song at a convention in Cannes. Right. And so, he acquired the US publishing rights. He went, I'm going to have a piece of that pie. Going to get Beyonce to do it. (laughs) So, Stanley Mills uh, hawked the song relentlessly. And in America, he called the song... Dance Little Bird. Oh, right. A new name. That's another one. Uh, And this version that I'm about to play, you found fame on the album Hooked on Pokers. (laughs) Ah, that's the one. You know that? That's Old Faithful there. There we go. Beautiful. And... Uh, you're doing the moves already. You yes. can't help yourself. You can't help yourself. Um, I've got my, my jam on. <laughs> so Mill said, uh, people started dancing to it at parties and the local dance bands began to play it. Poker groups would record it and sold it out of the back of their trucks. So it, went, Jeez. it went viral, basically. Yeah. Uh, now, do you know how the name changed to the chicken dance, remembering that it was the duck dance. Do you know how mm. the, the, the chicken part of the... From memories in the late 70s, there was a real backlash against ducks. <laughs> now, I've got no idea. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'll tell you the story. Please. All right. Sit down. Mm. Relax. <laughs> Put my feet up. Uh, so, this is tracked back to Tulsa in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Uh, 1981 is the year, the Tulsa <sighs> Oktoberfest. It wasn't far off. Uh, a German band decided to play Dance Little Bird and teach the crowd how to do Werner Thomas's duck dance. Mm. Duck ski dance. <laughs> and um, so the event organisers scoured the <sighs> Tulsa area yes. in search of a duck costume before the, the party got started. Um, but no duck outfits could be found anywhere. They must have had a duck convention on. So I, don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a duck outfit. <laughs> you know, like a, they could have found a Donald Duck outfit. Oh, or... yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. I think I know what's coming. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, they couldn't find a duck outfit, but a local TV station was able to find and loan them a chicken suit. Bam, there Bam. it is. Lightning in a bottle. So from that day, it became known in the US as the Chicken Dance. <laughs> Just as well they didn't lend them a gimp costume, <laughs> otherwise, it would be a very different one. <laughs> uh, so in 1981, uh, another band called The Tweets uh, released their version of the Birdie Dance, okay. or the Birdie Song, as they called it. And these that that last one we heard and this one were in the charts at the same time, battling it out. So wow. in 1981 in the UK, this was at number one, but there were two versions of the birdie dance, very similar to each other, in the charts at the same time. That's amazing. Maybe that's the one I know. I don't know anymore. My whole world's crashing down around me. <laughs> what a time to be alive, 1981. <sighs> <Yeah>. hey? <laughs> um, Imagine that. 
In the countdown, uh, coming to number seven. Number six. Oh, they're in different keys. That's amazing. Battling it out. So since then, the song has become known internationally under numerous other names. Yes. Including Dancer des Canards. Canards? Bailey de los Palagitos. And my favourite, yes, uh, Il Balo del Quaqua. <laughs> Over 140 versions. Isn't Del Quaqua your rapper name? <laughs> del Quaqua. Yo, yo, it's Del Quaqua. <laughs> Over 140 versions of the Birdie Dance have been recorded worldwide. Over 140. That seems like not enough. <laughs> um, and uh, over uh, 40 million records have sold Sheesh. over the years. We should all be ashamed. <laughs> so, is it okay with you if I play you a few versions just to show you the versatility of the wonder of the Birdie Dance? Do I have a choice? Uh, no. Okay, here we go. Starting with uh, acoustic. <laughs> oh, lovely. This is restaurant music. <clears throat> Pensive. Mm. Like unplugged. It's like Eric Clapton. Flamenco. It's a peacock dance. Yes. Would you know my name <laughs> if I dance like a chicken? <laughs> uh, with German lyrics. <laughs> Techno. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think people are still listening to this podcast? That would, that would honestly go very sick at a, on a dance floor. That would, and there'd be all these people pinging off their heads, having the greatest time of their lives. Oh, it's actually doing the loops. Yeah. All right, heavy metal. <laughs> uh, wow. In 1989, uh, it was sampled on, I don't know if you remember this, this was a minor hit in 1989, Check Out the Chicken by Grandmaster <laughs> Chicken and DJ Duck. Does that ring a, a bell? Check out the chicken, 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 chicken. <laughs> remember? No? Not really. And lastly, the natural conclusion in 2008, <laughs> Hampton and the Hamsters. <laughs> the Hamsters aren't doing any of that. They're not adding to the music. They're just like, wee, in the background. <laughs> it's a, it's is, that the, is that all they do? That is all they do. And that there, the birdie dance died. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so there were versions with lyrics over the years. There were a couple of common uh, lyrics. I'll just I'll sing along with the acoustic version Please. so you can hear. With a little bit of this and a little bit of that and shake your bum. I don't want to be a chicken. I don't want to be a duck. So I shake my butt. Quack, 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 quack. Your butt crack? <laughs> what is All right. Do, do you know how to do it? For those listening that... Don't know how to do the birdie yeah. dance. Um, so what is it? It's because because there's 
here, okay, I'm going to guess and you yeah. tell me if I'm right. So it's flap the arms. Yeah. And then shake your bum. No, that's the no, end. No, no, no. Well, let's Da-da-da. ask Lawrence. Uh, this is Lawrence Welk from the Lawrence Welk show oh, okay. from the late seventies. I didn't realize you had an expert on. Yep, yeah, we do. Here's how to do it. Everybody, stand up at home and join us. You make the beaks, oh, of course. Wings, wings, tail feathers, yeah. and four claps. Do that again. Beaks, wings, tail feathers, and four claps. I feel so stupid. Next, of course it is. Link elbows and turn in a circle. Oh yeah, like yeah. this. There we go. Thanks, Lawrence. This uh, this instructor teaching a bunch of pensioners distills that to its <laughs> essence. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Flap, flap, flap. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Flap, flap, flap. Let's put that into action. Pensioner doesn't know how to do the birdie dance. <laughs> what pensioner is taking lessons yeah, in like, the birdie I, dance? Slow down. I've never come across this in my life. <laughs> so that's it. That's the uh, chicken dance. Uh, part of our social fabric. Now, the next time it comes on at a blue light disco that you're attending, you can be like, actually, I know some facts about this and, and ruin the party. <laughs> The last segment for this week, Jase, mm. I've been looking forward to this. We have been talking it up for a yep. while. Uh, it's called uh, Celebrity Poetry with Barry White's Love Unlimited Orchestra. Okay, and it's exactly what it says on the tin. Absolutely. Can I start? Have you read this poem before? No. I've just given you a poem. You've given me a poem, and I also haven't heard the Barry White. <laughs> All right. Basically, yeah. the way it works, I play some Barry White music, yep. and you read the poem. The poet is Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Okay, this song is called ID Blues. Do I say it like that? Is that what you want? Yeah. Is that what you want? Okay. Excuse me, aren't you? Hey, you look just like... Oh my God, that's... Sorry to interrupt your dinner, but aren't you... Look, I never do this, but my wife thinks you're... My little friend is so convinced that you're... I'm so embarrassed, but aren't you... I know you must be tired of this, but... WAIT! All eyes held in stare, all mouths locked open in shock as he pulled the latex Charlie Sheen from his head, revealing the rotted skull of President Lincoln. Oh, that's it. That's how this segment works. Okay, all right. right. I'm into it. So I'm doing James Franco, wonderful poet and actor, James Franco. Born to die. My little apartment in Los Phillies, said to once be owned by Charlie Chaplin. But you know, they say that about all the apartments in LA, I dream about Lana Del Rey. She dreams about Lana Del Rey. (laughs) And is Lana Del Rey. A dream she created and then entered. Will she enter the dream forever? In my little apartment, I have my pot. And my weeks and my wake makeup that I apply slowly in slow motion in my Marilyn mirror with the starlights and born to die on repeat and a tiger orange fire in the background in my little mind within my unsheathed head shaved naked for now 
I've entered the dream and killed reality. <laughs> Nathaniel West Hollywood painting with a raging Bosch-like conflagration full of his, full of his denizens on the outskirts. Out of work cowboys, extras, unfunny comedians, screaming, burning, fanning the flames as they bucked and sucked in every room of all the mansions in the Hollywood of the mind. <laughs> run, run, forward, and you proud of yourself, Scotty? That was your idea, wasn't it? That was, it went all right, that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Why don't you tell us, uh, dear listener, not you, I was looking oh, right at your eyes. You're looking at me, yeah. okay. Why, why, if you enjoyed it or did not enjoy it, why don't you let Are us you know? Are you talking to me or the no, listener? No, the listener. Okay, sorry. You can go to Twitter, Facebook or Instagram to do that, um, at RetroOrdinaire, and you can just let us know. I, I might do that. No, not you. Oh, Scott! Yeah. Ah. Okay, thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this podcast, yes. please go to iTunes and give us a decent review. That'd be nice. That'd be lovely. Yeah. Um, feel free to communicate with us on those things that Jason <laughs> just said. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. I've uh, had fun. Hope you have too, Jason. Are you talking to me? <laughs> I am. Okay. Talking to you. I've had one amount of fun. <laughs> okay.